Welcome everyone to the Joelle Martin Mastery Podcast. I'm a networking expert and the author of the upcoming book, Know No Strangers, How to Build Community One Relationship at a Time. My why is the pursuit of mastery, and the goal of this podcast is to lock arms on a lifelong mission of daily personal growth to become the best version of ourselves. So let's dive in to today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the podcast. We are joined by an award-winning singer-songwriter. He's a multi-instrumentalist. He just happens to be one of the nicest people on the planet, and he celebrated a birthday recently. So happy belated birthday, and welcome to the podcast, Mr. Matt Zaddy. Matt, how are you doing? Just, I'm doing great, thank you. How are you doing, Joel? I am awesome. Now, what does a birthday look like while in quarantine? <laughs> Uh, we, uh, it was a, a few day celebration. Um, uh, my darling wife, Heather Christine spoiled me all weekend with, um, baked goods. And, uh, we went for a little bit of a socially distanced walk uh, on the day that where the weather was nice, where the day the weather was not nice, obviously we didn't. Um, my folks dropped off some food that they had made, which was wonderful. Um, my niece, um, baked me a strawberry, a, a vegan strawberry cheesecake, which was outstanding. Um, Heather made me a Darth Vader cake, which was also outstanding. Um, I did a Zoom call with my family during the day, um, and um, we did, you know, we chat and everything. And then uh, there's there's a couple of interesting apps you can do, which are almost like board games online. There's this thing called Jackbox which uh, we did, so we played a couple of, kind of like, it's, it's kind of like board games or like, um, almost like charades sort of, but the digital version. Um, so that was fun. Uh, I had a, a handful of wonderful gifts as well. Heather got me a couple of things that I was really, really happy about. Um, I've had a handful of problems with my knees and running has been my favorite form of exercise. So one of the things that I was uh, looking to get back into for cardio, but also just because I really like it, is boxing. So she got me mm. some 12 ounce gloves and I'm gonna get um, a, uh, uh, a nice standalone um, heavy bag so I can get back to work on it. Cause I mean, anybody who's done any kind of cardio training for boxing, man, that wears you out fast. <laughs> Look, I'm gonna be honest, Matt, your quarantine birthday sounds better than most of my birthdays, not in quarantine. <laughs> so yeah, you, you found a way to make the most of it, which is yeah. awesome. I also had a, a Zoom call with some of my closest friends in the evening, which was really nice. So, yeah, like I said, it was it was not the birthday I was expecting, but it was a lot of fun. That's amazing. Now, you've been playing music for a long time. Where did this love of music start from? Uh, I think it's a combination of things. I'd probably say with my dad. He's a, a music lover and has been showing me weird and wonderful things since I was a kid. Um, my folks had me start playing uh, piano from, I think, the age of five or six. And then, I, like I said, it was, some of it was, you know, lottery of birth. I had parents that introduced me to something and I fell in love with it. Um, well, I was one of those kids that did a lot of everything. Like I was a, a real sponge as a kid. So I did five or six different sports. I played three instruments. I was on uh, every team I could possibly be on. And over time, it all just faded out and it just went to music. Mm. And you're a talented multi-instrumentalist. Did, did that all just come naturally or did it take years of practice and lessons and putting in the 10,000 hours? It's a mixed bag. Um, I don't deny that I had some natural ability 
ability. And I think more than anything else, it's a combination of pattern recognition and hand-eye coordination. But as far as pursuing it, being really good at anything, and I don't even, like I said, I'm, I, I consider myself as a, mus a musician very much a work in progress. I'm always, I've got goal, my own goals in terms of things I'd like to achieve as far as playing ability and genres. But um, there was an initial, um, the best way I can put it, I, I, I said it, an, an, an initial knack for it, but to be really good at anything, especially genres that are much more complicated and require a lot more effort, yeah, it, took, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes consistency, and it takes passion. And do you, do you feel that even now, even though, uh, you know, you're, you're super talented, you're more talented than most, you feel like even now, it's still learning on a daily basis, you still have goals to get to the next level. You have a Don Ross shirt to show you the levels to this game, who's a master uh, yeah, acoustic guitarist. I, very much so, yeah. Like, with any kind of, uh, any kind of artistic pursuit, there's, I learn something new every single day, and I don't just learn it from guys like Don. I learn it from my students. I learn it from other art forms. Like, <clears throat> I remember I, I was chatting with a friend of mine, and his teacher said, what did you, what, what, how are you feeling when you woke up this morning? And he described how he felt after he woke up. He says, I want you to play that. Mm. I think that any kind of artistic pursuit um, or any kind of pursuit that you really want to try to master requires dedica a daily dedicated commitment and work on it because sometimes it's not about how fast something you do something, but it's sometimes it's when you have a greater understanding of something, your perspective changes. Mm, and what, what kind of things can you learn from your students that are kind of just beginning their journey? Is it that they have kind of this fresh outlook, they're looking at things differently? Uh, a combination of things too. Uh, I've I've found some students of mine listen to music I would have never never otherwise considered. Everything from strange anime video game music um, into into. I remember one thing specifically. <laughs> there was um, a student of mine, a vocal student, loves the the music from this show called Steven Universe. It's a kids' show. It's it's kind of halfway in between North American style animation and 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 uh, East Asian animation, and it is the music for it is absolutely outstanding. And I would have never been exposed to it had I not had that student. And a lot of what my stu students want to learn is kind of a mixed bag of you know the popular stuff. But every now and then somebody shows me something and I and I have like a wow moment. I had I have I had a couple of students of mine that found things, especially in the age of the internet, because you'd be surprised what students will find where they found something where I was like, wow, I'm going to go learn that. And that, that, that changes the way that you play, right? Because you're seeing things from a different point of view and, and different styles. And, and speaking of different styles, you actually got started more on the metal side. So you're kind of a metal guitarist in a metal band. How do you transition from that extreme to the other extreme, which is more acoustic, blues, rock? Yeah, well, when I was a kid, I played all different kinds of music, and I, I was classically trained, and I had some jazz training, and I remember when I first started playing in bands, it was kind of this sort of alt-rocky sort of 90s-ish thing, which very quickly morphed into a heavier style when I got exposed to that. It just, something about it just really 
caught me. But while I was doing that, I was listening to all kinds of different music. And, you know, I never, I, I, I had a classical guitar and I had an Ibanez growing up. So I played classical with a little bit of jazzy licks and I played, um, I played, you know, rock and metal. And the more that I got into the metal stuff, especially the really out there stuff, the more that it, I found that it had in common with, with like harmonically with either, you know, modern classical or jazz. And as far as the folk stuff, I've been listening to that and loving that my whole life. Um, I've, I've, I'm a diehard metalhead, but I love music first and foremost. And me playing that kind of music as opposed to playing metal was kind of a very organic process where it became... When I ended that band in 2011, I had no idea what I wanted to do musically. But what I was thinking of was doing a solo metal project. Now, while I was doing that, and you would know a thing or two about this, I was hosting a handful of open mics and I, and I had an acoustic guitar. And I was thinking about the last 10 years of my life and all of these songs just started flowing out of me completely naturally. And I started performing them live and the response to it was was really positive. And I said, well, I, I can't ignore the fact that I love these songs and I can't ignore the fact that people are gravitating towards this. I can do some good with this. Mm, so the transition from the outside for other people might have looked like a, a crazy transition from one end of the spectrum to the other, but internally, you had those, those, those two worlds were, were always a part of, of your life. So it wasn't that crazy of a transition for you. And what did your journey look like from when you first picked up the guitar to now being a successful full-time musician? What, just kind of a, a brief overview of what, what that journey looks like, getting from there to here. Sure. Um, when I was a kid, I actually picked up the guitar out of spite. <laughs> I had a sibling who was playing, and at the time, my parents had rented out their basement uh, to um, a mother and a son. The son was a virtuoso violinist, and he was 16, and I was 13, and we kind of became friends. And on a whim, he picked up my brother's guitar one day and learned it in a day. Well, I said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and then I had had piano training since I was five or six, so I could already read music. So I took that book one guitar book, and I learned it in a day. Pretty soon I was playing the guitar more than my, bro more than my brother was. And I had parents which were very um, – they encouraged me to, 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 try, to try guitar. They put me in lessons. And I knew the music that I liked to listen to, and I started to gravitate towards more guitar music. So, I mean, I, I, I was one of those kids that just, you know, did a lot of this at home when I was a teenager. Uh, and when I was 18, I started playing in bands, and um, I got swept up in a handful of genres that just really, really, really spoke to me. Um, I spent my 20s playing in a, uh, in a metal band, which was a lot more out there than most what most people would be considered metal. It would be like a weird combination of jazz and like modern classical harmony, like very atonal stuff, very very eight, uh, um, angular structured. And it, it would be like throw a, throw a 20th century classical jazz and a machine gun in, in a blender. That's what it sounded like. Um, and in the process of that, because we were a young band and nobody would do anything for us, I had to learn about the music industry in order to be able to get our music heard and to be able to get out there. So I learned how to book tours. I was already running uh, another business on the side as well, which really helped me um, learn how to do the music end of things. I learned uh, about you know music law and I helped to negotiate part of our, our record deal. Um, so the process of learning the music business was very gradual. The process of playing for that period of time, I was just really focused on this one genre. Um, when I ended that, I was able to apply those skills 
to the music that I'm doing now so that I've been able to make um, uh, using, I guess, it would be a little bit more popular what I'm playing now compared to what I was doing before. And it really helped me um, steer that in a way to make a living doing it. Um, the, the, the process was gradual. Some people um, have been able to kind of hop right into it. Mine was over over an extended period of time. I, I, I actually, when I was first doing this, I didn't picture myself playing folk rock and rhythm and blues. When I was younger, I, I, I figured I'd be in a full-time touring metal band, either my own band or one of the bands that I had been offered to join. Um, but the process was so natural, um, and I got to the point where I, uh, the, uh, you know, pr prior to isolation, where I, I was starting to be able to pick and choose the, the things that I was doing because I, there was a demand for, for, for my skill set. Um, now, um, uh, it, it's going to be, a, it's, it's, it's an interesting world now that, we, that we're in because it's been kind of flopped on its head. So um, I'm, I'm looking at different ways to get my music out there digitally um, and uh, basically to be, uh, for the time being at least, to, to focus on content creation and teaching. Um, which is still fine. I mean, like I said, you know, I'm still still got my place and I'm still doing well. I, I'm just re kind of refocusing where I put my energy as far as instead of playing live as much. You, you mentioned that you learned to read music. How, how important is music theory that that uh, musicians do learn music theory and, and how to read music? Is it important? Does it matter? It depends what you want to do with it. Um, you know, people can speak English without reading it, but how much more are you able to learn being able to, 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 to understand the language in written form as opposed to just hearing it. Music, obviously, ultimately, the theory is just a means of explaining what we hear, but I look at it the same way that I look at math or I look at any, any, other, any other type of discipline. There's a lot that's already been figured out. Think about it if you were a kid and nobody taught you about bedmus, sure. or if nobody taught you about algebra, or if nobody taught you about, you know, it's kind of these fundamentals which... You know, people have been learning and understanding um, all different types of disciplines for a long time. To restrict yourself from learning what's already been done, you're you're trying to reinvent the wheel. Like, I mean, people will come when when you when you do something with passion, you're going to come up with ideas no matter what. But if you want to try, I, I'm a, I'm a very analytical person. I like to understand how things tick, and for me, understanding the language, like I said, I was kind of the lottery of birth there. My parents put me in music lessons when I was younger, but you know basic music theory versus more complex ideas still takes work there are things that i still am I'm trying to learn and it has allowed me to have a much broader perspective and a greater knowledge base to be able to apply to whatever i'm doing i i, I would say anybody who's learning music it's the same way that you learn how to read and write the language you speak music is a language mm. as as you and i both know it's very difficult to make a living as a musician. It's, it's pretty widely, you know, understood that it, it's sometimes, even if you have talent, it's, it's hard to monetize that passion and that talent. Now, you've found a, found a way to do it. My question is, did you ever have a fear of pursuing music as a full-time career? And if so, how did you get past that? Uh, I'm not sure if I had a fear of pursuing it. It's always been in me to do it. As far as doing it full time, I remember growing up, everyone was very much like, oh, you know, do something else as a backup instead of music. Because it's, again, because a lot of people outside of that world don't understand how people make a living at it. Like within music, there are a vast number of, of careers. People typically only see pop stars. And they assume that, you know, that's what making a living as a musician is. But what about the hundred or so people that are backing them up? 
Um, I I thought it was very difficult to make a living doing music when I was younger because I was playing something where which was very very niche. Now there are people that were doing what I did that that made a living at it. I never got to that point with the metal that I was playing. We were able to pay the band's bills, but not pay our bills. <laughs> yeah. um, when I got out of that. My, my perspective on music changed over time in terms of how I could use it to do good. When I was younger, I was just like, I have this in me to do, express. <laughs> now, when I look at the writing that I'm doing and the music that I'm playing as a service, that I can, like, I, how can I serve people? And how can I do some good with this? Like, I mean, it's something I care about, so I'd rather do that than anything else. But how can I use that to do some good? And through that, I think I found... Um, not only a new community of people that were open to what I was doing, um, but I also found a, a, a very comfortable way to make a living doing it. Now, you hear that, oh, it's one in a million, uh, you know, to make it in music. I, I believe that it's one in a million to be like the M&Ms and the Rihannas, you know, the very one percenters. But there's all these people you and I have never heard of that do music full time and, and make a good living. And, and one thing that uh, there's this theory of a thousand fans, it's saying if you as an independent artist can just create a fan base of a thousand fans, they consider a fan being someone that's willing to spend about a hundred dollars a year on, on your stuff, whether it's, you know, $30 on a concert ticket, a t-shirt, a CD, whatever. Uh, so if you only have a thousand fans paying a hundred dollars each, that's a six figure income, which is better than most. Um, wh what are your thoughts on, on that of, of cultivating just a thousand fans, loving on them, wishing them happy birthday and, uh, and, and just catering to them? I think that it's accurate, especially in a digital world. There are a great deal of artists that I try to learn from that are, they don't even perform live and they don't even tour and they make six-figure incomes playing music. It is totally possible, but it, it requires a little bit of a shift in terms of how you look at what it is that you're doing and what you expect. A lot of people, they want to be famous as opposed to make a living, and that's a very, very different thing. Um, myself... I don't care about fame. I just like the paycheck that comes with it. <laughs> um, I, I, I love music and I want to share it with people that are that are that like what I do um, or love what I do. And I think that if I mean, that's the thing, if you had a thousand fans who are willing to spend one hundred dollars on you a year, whether between between concerts or merch and merchandise, that's a six figure income. I think it's very accurate. Um, and um, there are um, actually courses that I, that I take to try to understand that better, to be able to build that, um, especially now, because, I mean, um, like I said, I've had, everybody has, to, um, in, in this world um, right now, especially, you need to be able to operate in a digital economy. And live performance for me was something that I had built over a long period of time, which really helped me. Now I'm trying to create something similarly in, in, in a, in a, in a more digital world and it is totally doable it does require a lot of effort you have to be willing to put in the time you have to be willing to understand how to market yourself in a digital economy it's not it's it is different but it's doable um, as far as the one percent you're right it's the superstars and that's what everybody seems to see when they see the music industry but in my lifetime I have met scores of players that do just fine and you have no idea who they are but they have fan bases, especially in a digital world. Your fan base doesn't have to be in a 50, 100, 200, 500 kilometer radius. They can be anywhere. 
like I said, digital economy. People people who really like what you do, if they really care about your art and what you create and who you are, they will gladly purchase things. And it's it's that's that's the way that the industry has has gone, especially since music has been digitized. Mm, to your point, uh, yesterday a band reached out to me. And they're not super well known in the mainstream. And, and they reached out and they said they released an, in, uh, an album independently. They're looking for creative ways to get the word out. And they're interested in getting on the podcast. So I went and I looked up their numbers online. And even though most people haven't heard of them, they have 10 million views on YouTube. They have hundreds of thousands of followers online across different social media platforms. And it shows you, you know, it, it, what you can build or, or organically using social media versus the traditional business model. Now, my, my final semester in high school, I was able to do a co-op uh, or an internship at a, a recording studio. So it was called Distortion Studios in Ottawa. And this was actually Alanis Morissette's studio. And, cool. and there was a manager there. His name was Kirk Ellard. And this was kind of like my first mentor before I knew what mentors were. And I was with him every day for a few months. And I remember he asked me, he said, Joel, what do you want to do for a living? And at that point, I, I don't know, I guess I was 16, 17. And I said, well, I want to be a full-time musician. And he goes, okay, that's great. How, how many hours a day do you play? And I go, well, uh, you know, I play maybe an hour a day of guitar. And he goes, look, if everyone else is out there working eight hours a day to become a professional and to make a living, who do you think you are that you're going to work an hour or less a day on your craft? And that was an important lesson for me that just because the industry I was going into, which is music, is not a traditional industry, it, you know, I thought maybe I could do things differently and maybe with less effort and maybe there's a way to fast track this. And I think my work ethic comes from that moment where I realized this isn't wishing on a star. You need to become, become a professional and you need to put in the time with your craft. So my question for you is what is your daily mode of operation? What does it look like in the life of Matt Zaddy on a daily basis as a full-time musician paying the bills with, with music? Sure. Um, I'm going to give you a pre-COVID and a post-COVID because I think that's the, that would be a... We got some COVID talk coming up for sure because it, it's definitely affected musicians more than most. Yeah, um, my normal day, uh, if I were to wake up in the morning, um, I would wake up, have some kind of meal with my partner. Um, I normally start my day with about an hour of exercise, usually a half an hour of yoga, a half an hour of either endurance or strength training. Um get cleaned up <laughs> and then I usually start my day actually with administration not with playing um, it's one of those things that when you're doing something by yourself like I mean as a as a, as a full-time musician um, I would love to practice eight hours a day um, but eight hours of, of dedicated practicing not just noodling you know like I'm working on specific things for specific goals um, I my normal day was I would do an hour to two hours of um, administration and marketing and, and planning um, to try to, to because 
playing is one thing getting out there in the world and being able to 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 use that craft to, to make a living is, is another thing because a lot of independence I, I have a small team that I work with for my for some of my marketing but a lot of my um, I, I, I found uh, I'm pretty good at getting good work so I've I, I've kept a lot of that that I do myself um, I would try to put in uh, between a couple of different instruments I've got um, I, I, I play a lot of piano and I play a lot of guitar mostly and I sing so I would try to put in in the afternoon um, kind of block out my time for specific things that I was trying to accomplish so if I've got a big show coming up and I know I've got these songs that I really need to have solid I would block out let's say an hour for that um, I try to block out time for creativity as well some time to work on like I said furthering the craft because there's always something with music that you can work on to improve um, and I would most of my afternoon up until about probably three or four o'clock would be a mixture of um, specific um, music music specific for something that I have coming up that I'm working on um, being creative and also trying to build my skill um, on the instrument whether it's voice or piano or guitar and I would kind of rotate through that um, in the early evenings a lot of the time I would teach I have students I have about normally um, I'd have about 40 students a week, 30 to 40 students a week, and I would teach them between 4 and 8 or something like that on various days. And my evenings would consist of performing 3 to 5 days a week. And, and there is a little bit of you know give and take and flex depending on what day it is. Like I try my very best to take Sundays off so I can spend time um, uh, with my partner and with my family and, and you know plan to have downtime because that's important too. I've, I, I for a long time... I have a, a workhorse in my nature and I would just go, 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 go. But it is important to take time to reflect. It's important to take time to appreciate why you're doing this above and beyond the tasks themselves. Um, in now, in this kind of framework, the, I guess, the, the, the post, uh, you know, lo or I, guess, I guess current lockdown, um, my days are similar because I do a lot of my teaching through Zoom and Skype. I'm not doing as much performing, but I am doing some still. I, I have kept up a weekly open mic that I've been hosting through Zoom and broadcasting to Facebook, and I've been really happy about that because it gives our, our, our music community a chance to connect, and I've been able to get on performers from across the country as opposed to ones in our general area. Um, I still teach, but my hours are a little bit more flexible based on what my students are available for because it, I'm... I, I don't leave the house unless I'm going for a walk <laughs> right now or getting just getting out of the house to you know just to get some fresh air so now but I find when you're at home and this is what a lot of people who don't work from home aren't familiar with you really need it's very easy to waste time it's so easy to just go do the dishes or uh, just putter I find it's so easy to putter so what I try to do is when I look at my day I will block out my day to things I want to accomplish and, and times I want to do them at. Like I'm looking at my schedule right now from here until about 7 or 8 o'clock tonight and this is one of many things on my daily list but in a very good way and it's like okay because I've put I've blocked out this time that's great so I've committed to that. Now I just have to make sure that I use the time in there well so you know I try to do things as distraction free as I can have specific goals for what I want to do because I know a lot of guitar players who would sit down to practice and they sit there just noodling for an hour and it's like well you didn't actually accomplish anything because you weren't pushing yourself to be better mm. see we we've all been kind of programmed since 
childhood to take orders, whether it's from parents, whether it's having a boss. And we all think the dream is to not have a boss and to do things are on our own. But what you quickly find is if you're not used to having a boss or someone that's giving orders, you, you, you can tend to doodle around and, and not and, and go really easy on yourself and, and not get a lot accomplished. So I think this period of time is good for a lot of people to really see what it's like to, to be your own boss and to work for yourself and the importance of scheduling and time management and all those things. Now, Absolutely. the you know, musicians have been hit really hard with this self-isolation because one of the biggest sources of income is the live live performances. Now you found a way to still be able to do a few live performances, which is kind of a social distancing performances for, for elders and, and other things. Um, do you think that the world is going to go back to normal? I mean, it, it's going to be tough for, you know, an arena show with 20,000 people to take place. I don't know how many people want to get into that environment. Um, what do you, do you think things will go back to normal? And then, do you think it'll be a there'll be a new normal and what will that new normal look like i think it's going to be a mixture of things um i think until there's a vaccine the people can be confident that they won't be um spreading anything it would be no different than trying to get together when we didn't have a measles vaccine because the one thing that as much as as, as i have looked into it about this virus is it tends to spread very easily its transmission is very successful um I think that for the time being, there will be a new normal. Um, how long that lasts really is going to be determined by how soon um, a reliable treatment can be created. Because we've seen other things in the last 20 years that have had, um, uh, I guess, a similar effect, but not on this scale. In, in Toronto, we had SARS, which took a, a hard hit on the economy. I, I remember at the end of it when I went to SARS stock, <laughs> which was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, you know, there have been a handful of H1N1 breakouts which were significant, but this one is um, appears to be on a global scale something like this that we haven't seen for a very long period of time. Now, that being said, the last time that, that, that there was something that looked like this was 100 years ago, to the best of my knowledge, um, in terms of its widespread effect. So we don't know how soon something like this will come again. It could be a month or it could be 20 years or 100 years. I think that once there is a reliable treatment for this, people will get back to normal. In the meantime, you're going to see a little bit more space between things, which may mean that um, performance venues will need to be a little bit more creative in terms of how they do it. Um, it may affect the amount that the, the margins that different businesses have. If you can't have as large an audience, it's not like you can have a big sweaty mosh pit right now. That's just a Petri dish. <laughs> you know, like when, when the, the concerts that I grew up going to, we were rammed in small club, pardon me, we were rammed in either small clubs or in stadiums or in big festival open fields, but it was always proximity. You were like this with everybody. That's not a, that's not a reality right now. So there's going to be a lot of people who are used to being able to perform for a live audience that are going to be affected in the long term. Uh, how long it takes to change is anybody's guess, but I think that the best thing that anybody who is doing that for the time being, who is in that world, is if you want to stay in that world, you're going to have to adapt. And that, that's just the reality. Like I've... I've had during this break a few times where, you know, I 
I let the the spiraling get the better of me. But what I've what I, I've I've just made a conscious choice now to say I'm going to adapt to this and I'm going to be fine and I'm going to work through this and I'm going to use my creativity in a way because how many people are on the internet? If yeah. you're not like I have used you know the digital world for my music to some degree, especially social media, it's allowed me to reach people. I mean, I used to be that guy when I was younger who would go, who would be at shows giving out flyers. And I remember I was actually going over some of my old folders, just cleaning up my hard drive. And I had a folder that said flyers. And I looked in it and I saw 10 years worth of JPEG images of flyers that I had printed off and given out at shows out in the cold. You know, I remember uh, I would be out at a concert a week before my show going like this in like minus 20 weather to people in line. It's a different world now. I don't need to do that anymore. And I know what I've been able to do for promoting events in my local area using social. There's no reason I can't do that online. Monetizing it, it is trickier because people have to care, which means you need to build a good relationship with your audience. So my goal in this time is to create content and to, 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 to build my audience um, digitally that I have in person. Because the pe people in person, I mean... When I go to a show locally, I'll see like like even online when I've been doing my open mics, these people that have been coming to my events, I see like a, a half a dozen shirts of mine every time. To create that um, with an audience that isn't seeing you in person is trickier, but it's entirely entirely doable. I have a lot of friends of mine which have um, put in the time because again, this is there is a time spent. This is a time spent exercise where they've been able to monetize their music online whether it's through content creation through video um through um uh you know a, you know digital music outlets like spotify or apple music it's doable but it does require a different way of thinking i man i remember i remember postering in the cold for hours for upcoming shows and man that sucks so bad so now it's nice that you can just you know pay for a facebook ad or or send out your newsletter so yeah it's definitely i do enjoy uh, the, the technology when it comes to promotion. Now, there's one thing that our listeners can do while in self-isolation, and that's to go over to Spotify and listen to your newest album. So the newest album is called B. It's seven songs. It's all killer, no filler. It clocks in at under 30 minutes. Uh, so can you, can you let our listeners know what to expect when they, they give that album a listen? Sure. Um... Musically, it's a mixture of folk rock and rhythm and blues. Um, I get comparisons anywhere from John Mayer to City in Color to Neil Young to Stan Rogers. So there is there is a I I I guess I would say the ter I get I get this term thrown at me a lot Canadiana, <laughs> and I'm good with that. Um, it's there is a, there's a roots aspect to it that I, that that is definitely in there. As far as as the, as the subject matter of the music, that album was essentially for myself a series of life lessons to for me to learn how to be the best version of myself that I can and how I can use that to do some good. So each one of those songs is a story of something in my life where I, it taught me something to be a better person or to how to, 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 to serve my community better or to, to, to try to make a difference. And sometimes we always seem to think about it like, like the same way we do with, with music artists, like it's that 1%. But you can make a difference in your community one person at a time, one relationship at a time because there is a ripple effect when you help somebody. 
when you when you you know give somebody a leg up. You know, I've I've had this kind of saying that I've said um, about music in my community. I said uh, uh, we all get ahead when we work together, and that's how that this album is for me. Was this? It's 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 my lessons to uplift. Mm. The first two singles are Busy and Brighter Days. Uh, can you tell everyone uh, more about those singles and, and why did you choose those two songs specifically to, to highlight the album? Um, one of the things that I've been able to do over the last couple of years while I was writing this record was really to um, uh, test out the songs. And there were three or four songs in the album which people would really respond to either... Um, uh, in person or recorded and those were the songs uh, the songs themselves I think each of them has their own uh, a good message for it when I was writing busy it's kind of like a I'm trying to <laughs> I always hesitate to make a comparison to a band um, but um, it's it kind of like a like a, a hard-hitting R&B kind of song uh, like a like a like a blend of like rock and R&B and what I was thinking about when I was writing that song was that sometimes we want to be right so badly that we'll uh, we will unintentionally or intentionally hurt people just to get a point across and i had to learn the hard way because i'm i i tend to like to argue <laughs> um that it's not uh, some um it's okay to you can you can disagree with somebody and still walk away from that conversation you can have honest conversations and still and leave the daggers at the door is a way that I like to put it. Uh, you don't always have to agree with somebody, but you can respect them enough to not just try to dig into them to make your point. Because if you need to, your point's probably not that right to begin with. Mm. Um, for Brighter Days, um, when I was writing that song, I was thinking about some people very close to me that were going through some difficult times in their lives. And um, when you're in the thick of it, whether it's, it, I was specifically thinking about people that were having issues with mental health, but I think it can apply, especially right now in social isolation that we when you're in this kind of a situation it's hard to believe that things can get better or it's hard to believe that you can ever get out of it it's almost like it's like you're drowning in your own like i said you can spiral and that is the time when it is most important to remember that you know things can improve and there are people in your life that care about you so when i released brighter days i actually timed it with bell let's talk because i thought that it was very appropriate um, for a time specifically at that point dealing with mental health but I think right now it applies as much because this is a situation which I don't think any of us were planning on or were, or were necessarily ready for and it has taken its toll on some people but this is temporary things will get better and it, it, in, in our communities you can show people as well that you care you know this is one of those times where you can reach out to a friend or to a neighbor or to, to somebody in need and it doesn't necessarily need to just be in lockdown this is something that if we do we can make a real difference in people's lives and and in our own I remember growing up seeing an award ceremony it was I don't know the Grammys or, or something like that and Sting the musician he received an award and he famously famously said you know thanks for the award but music is its own reward so on that note you've won a couple uh, miss saga music awards you've won promoter of the year you've won best acoustic artist um what what do awards mean to you is it is it kind of validation for the choice you've made is it recognition for all the work you've done does it mean nothing at all what are your thoughts on awards that's a that's a tricky question because quite honestly awards and no awards I would have done it anyway um, 
I guess you can look at the awards in a handful of ways. Recognition from the community, um, I'm appreciative of that, but I don't require it. Um, sometimes as a musician, having awards under your belt will sometimes mean that someone who otherwise wouldn't have considered working with you might. Um, you know, there's like a checklist of things sometimes that when performers, when they give their, their resume of things that they have, and some people who are looking to book artists will look at that list, you know, metrics, if you will. Um, for myself, um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the award, but I would have done what I was going to do, award or no award. Some I've won, I've applied for many or been nominated for many that I didn't get, and I'm still here. Still here. There you go. So your your wife, Heather, is also a talented musician. You guys perform together quite frequently. What is that experience like? And, and do you have any advice for couples that are looking to maybe go into business together, whether it's as performing musicians or any other business? Uh, it's very easy, especially when you live with someone, to always be working and always be on. It's important to have quality time outside of the music um, or whatever business operation that you're doing, but it's also important to, to be okay with disagreeing. Um, Heather and I, when we're working on songs, because we write together as well, um, and there are th and we have different skills. Heather, I, I believe Heather is, is a stronger singer than I am, and when I'm not performing vocally as well, she'll call me on it. And sometimes, you know, in the moment, you're like, well, what the heck? But it's actually a good thing because we're working to make each other better. And when we're working on a song, ultimately, like the, the, the you know the, I'm sure you've heard this before serve the song it's about what's best for the music it's about what's best for your creating but um, don't just always be working because again as a workhorse I have to watch myself because I have that tendency it's okay to disagree and ultimately when you're working on a creative endeavor or a business endeavor it's the best ideas which are gonna make it so put forth the best that you have be okay with with collaboration, there is some compromise involved when you're working with something like that, the same way as there is in a relationship. Um, and um, be okay with the fact that um, one person is not always going to have the best ideas. There are a lot of people, like in, in that situation, there are times where Heather has come to the table with something that I never would have even considered, and we work through it, and it's become something magical. Um, and then there's um, times where I've come up with an idea which she wouldn't have considered. And, you know, sometimes you can butt heads a little bit. That happens, and that's not a bad thing. It's part of the process. And it's, okay, it's I guess the big thing I could say was be okay with the process, but also make sure that you all make time um, outside of that process to be to, to, to work on your relationship because you can't always just be working. Mm. The, the goal of this podcast is, is mastery. It's for us to become the best version of ourselves, to strive for that, that mastery on a daily basis. So that, you know, when it comes to your life, there's all these different areas. One of them is career. We're talking about music, but it's also important, you know, health and nutrition. Uh, for you, you're a vegan. You've been a vegan for a long time. Uh, how, did, how did you become a, a, a vegan? How does, how does that start? And was it just natural for you? Uh, it started, uh, I'm an, like I said, I'm an analytical person by nature. I don't like to, I'm, I'm not one for social convention. I don't like to do things strictly because that's what I was told to do. Now, that being said, we all fall into some, you know, societal, you can call them traps or you can call it convention, where we just follow a path that's set out for us, whether it's career, whether it's family, whether it's diet, whether it's ritual. Um, for myself, I have a very, I'll, I'll keep it short because this could be a long, <laughs> long thing, but 
when I was growing up, my younger brother was vegetarian, and I was not nice to him about it at all. I was posing those. I was reasonably clever, so I would pose those questions, which he didn't know how to answer, and it. I never really thought about it. I was raised in a household with parents that ate, um, that were you know om omnivorous. You know, they ate they ate meat, and I was. I remember I was working at a summer camp when I was eighteen, and I had a good friend of mine, a fellow musician, wor working in the kitchen, and I was doing maintenance, and he asked me to switch jobs with him. And I said, why? And he said, well, I have a real hard time handling the meat. And this was the first time because he was, he was an equal of mine. He was a friend. It was someone whose opinion I respected. I said, why? And every reason that he gave me in terms of, of the ethics behind it, I agreed with. I had just never really thought about it. I had never considered it as a real thing. So I thought about it. And at the time, I was raised a good Catholic boy. I said, okay, I'm going to give up meat next Lent, so the following March. And I said, if I can maintain a reasonable health, I'm going to stick with it next March. I did it, and I was healthy, and I felt good, so I did. Now, I was also involved in the, in the independent music scene in Ontario, and there are a lot of people who, um, there's a lot of counterculture there. And veganism at the time, I guess this would be around 20 years ago, would be considered counterculture. Now it's mainstream. But back then, I, I think I knew two vegans um, and a handful of vegetarians and I started looking into veganism and I kept giving myself all of these things reasons why I couldn't do it oh I don't know how to cook I'm not gonna be healthy you know all the all the all the kind of typical things that people ask someone when they ask someone who's vegan well how do you and I, I did an experiment I started pulling things out of my diet but not in like a harmful way I said okay instead of having milk with cereal I'll have, a, I'll have rice milk instead of having ice cream I'll have sherbet and slowly in, over the course of a month or two I was a quasi vegan without even knowing about it without, without even realizing it and I remember in the summertime I was working at that same summer camp and I had an ice cream bar and I actually felt guilty mm. I felt I felt that this isn't something I should be doing, so I said maybe I should really consider doing this. A month later, I was taking like a, I guess you would call it a personal development course out in British Columbia, and I met a 78-year-old vegan named Merton who was a teacher in Alberta. And I said, well, if Merton can do it, I can do it. And on the spot, out there in in Salmon Arm, BC, in the middle of nowhere, I went vegan. And I got home, and I was still living with my folks at the time, and I said, you know, I'm really serious about this. So my mom said, okay, well, let's look at our family recipes, and let's see what we can do. Because I had already done some homework about what the dietary requirements were. I mean, for me now, I went, I went vegetarian in March of 2001, and I went vegan in September of 2001. So it's been basically, I guess, 19 years since I've had – I've intentionally had any meat. <laughs> it happens sometimes, right? There, there are some – yeah, things happen, you know. Um, but um, – I do very much care about my personal health. Like I've gone through waves where I weighed a little bit more, weighed a little bit less, or I've exercised more, exercised less. But especially now, at the age that I'm at, it really my health really matters to me. Now that being said, I definitely indulged on the weekend for my birthday, but I've been on the rowing machine for the last two days and it felt awesome. <laughs> You've made up for it. What was that guy's name again? Merton. Merton. Yeah. He was I, I I feel like there's a a song or a book there about the 77 year old vegan Merton. So. <laughs> he was a professor at the University of Alberta, a lovely man. And we just like, like, you know, those people you meet that are just like really warm. He was gentle. That was probably the best way to describe him. Um, but I said, well, if he's 78 and he can do this, there's no reason I can't. And I, I, I have, um, I've had, I've had little to no dietary health challenges through this. Like I, I, I get the nutrition that I need. I've done my homework. I also love to cook, which is a big thing. I, cooking is actually one of the ways that I like to unwind. So I do a lot of, a lot of, uh, 
East Asian cooking more than anything else because dietarily there's a lot less meat in 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 some of the food that they have there so and I also like a lot of Mediterranean cooking which has a lot of beans and lentils and things like that so um, but nowadays I mean you go to the store there's like entire vegan sections when I went vegan there was like one crappy kind of soy milk and like this like rubbery meat <laughs> mm. I guess it's getting easier. So over the last 19 or 20 years, uh, what are the benefits that you've found of becoming a vegan? And for anyone that is maybe listening to this, that is, has been considering maybe going vegan and, and doesn't know where to start, what, what advice would you give them on, on maybe first steps? You don't have to do it all at once. There seems to be this this uh, this dichotomy that people draw, where it's very one way or the other. And a lot of people, when they think about vegans, they think about militant protesters. Now, I do support organizations when I believe in their causes, whether that's you know vegan or not. But um, you can do this in stages. There's no reason to just go like this. Now. In my case, when I went when I went vegetarian first, I did notice a little bit of weight loss, but that was only because the fat content of my diet changed. Um, I was, like I said, I'm a methodical person. I I, I tend to overthink things. Now I, I wasn't portion controlling my food per se, but I did make sure that I had a variety. I would say one thing is people always seem to think that where do you get your protein? That's like the vegan question. It's actually not very hard. There are plenty of high protein grains and I mean beans, nuts and seeds alone. You can get everything you need as far as protein is concerned. Um, I would say there are a lot of wonderful resources out there do your homework and if somebody wants them I've actually had this template email that I've had for the last 10 years because I get a lot of questions and I'm just like here you go let me know if you have any questions and there are tons of resources out there there are wonderful meals that you could create because a lot of people they they have cravings for the food that they grew up eating. I grew up in a, a household raised by someone who was Irish and Croatian there's a lot of meat in that diet <laughs> and most of those types of meals Flavor is not something that is synonymous with a single food. You can create things. If, um, and these days, there are, is, there's a, a variety of products out there. I prefer to make things from scratch myself. I like a lot of very... I, 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 I do like some of, the, some of the, you know, the... What do you call it? Um, I guess they're, they're like the mock meats, or I do like, like comfort food, you know, like burgers and fries and things like that. But I try to treat those in moderation and try to have a diet that is very... Um, clean. That being said, I do, you know, I do like, you know, I do like the odd, the odd, you know, the odd whiskey and I do like my beer like anyone else. It's just that I pick the, you are a musician after all, right? <laughs> that's your, that's your natural environment in, in the bars. Exactly. Uh, I was going to say, I, I actually have to be careful with bar food. That's one thing I would say, like, especially a live musician is it's very easy to live on pub food if you were playing live for a long time. And I would sometimes bring my own meal or eat before I went. Cause I just didn't want to have that. I, basically, I would say the best thing I can say is you don't have to do it all at once. You, it can be a process. So what we'll do uh, a little bit later at the end of the call is we'll make sure to get your social media info out there so people can contact you for the music, obviously, but also maybe they have questions about, uh, you know, embarking on that journey of becoming a vegan. I guess my last question, just out of curiosity, is what are the what are those, you know, Beyond Meat burgers and what's the other one? Something light? Uh, oh, Light Life. Light Life. What are those like? I mean, I, I want to try them just to try them. Um, most, but, most but, people, 
I, I know people that haven't been able to tell the difference between Beyond Meat and uh, a meat product. It is one of the better products on the market, but it is by no means the uh, uh, the only one that is that good. I know now uh, President's Choice, you know, for those of you in Canada who are listening to this, uh, President's Choice products has some thing that they call the undeniable burger which is kind of a I, I i i think i can say honestly it was like a reverse engineer beyond meat yeah. um, but there have been products like that for a very long period of time it's just that beyond meat was a much better marketer than most of them and they did have a really good product um i actually my favorite thing that they make is actually like a, a beyond meat breakfast sausage um, there's um, a cafe in Montreal and in Toronto called Love Lov. They they I had it there for the first time when I was away for my birthday in Montreal one time and it is wonderful. Um, some people who are vegetarian or vegan have a hard time with the meat texture. In fact, a couple of products I've had like that. I remember the first time I had a vegan egg. It was like a scramble, and it was actually made from algae of all things. But it was so close to what I remember egg tasting like. It freaked me out. Mm. I couldn't have it on its own. I had to make it like a Western where I put like vegetables in. I'm like, I need veggies. This is weird. I, I hear you. So a minute ago, you mentioned being in British Columbia for a personal growth event. Uh, how important is personal growth when it comes to achieving your goals? And do you have any books you might recommend on personal growth? Wow. Um there are a handful of ones that I've read over the years. Some of them are a little bit more mainstream. Some of them are a little bit less. I'm going to have to think about that. Um, there are some really great um, motivational speakers out there. I, I find that when I'm, when I'm getting in a little bit of a slump, if I listen to somebody who speaks like that, it tends to remind me of the fact that, you know, um, people always seem to look at where somebody was and say, oh, well, you know, they're just successful. They don't look at the process to get right. there and I have to remind myself of the process. I love Tony Robbins, I think he's great. Um, he's also vegan by the way, haha. <laughs> Is he? There you go, your brother, yeah. Um, there are a lot, there are, you know, there, there are so many. I, I want to almost write down a list. Uh, there was um, a gentleman, uh, I'm really gonna, I think I've got one of his books on my shelf upstairs. Um, that I really liked growing up. Uh, well, I mean, I read some of the some of the the Robert Kiyosaki stuff growing up, like the Rich Dad Poor Dad, and Dad, Poor yeah. Dad. I've got both of those on my shelf upstairs. Um, I there was a gentleman. I, I do you remember the book name or uh, the, the book name is actually a little bit deceptive because it's it's actually about the exact opposite. The book I think was called Controlling Others for Money and Profit, but then you open up the book and he says, "If you think that's what this is, you're wrong." <laughs> That's pretty clever, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, I'm, I, the, the man's first name is Ross, and I think it was Ross Pete, but I could be wrong about the name. He was, it was somebody who some of, some of the courses that I took uh, were with him personally. It was, it was very moving. I, I, I was exposed to some, some, I guess, personal development. I mean, people call it like self-help or whatever it is. I mean, I look at it this way. Nobody knows everything, and nobody has all of the skills that they need in order to be successful when they start. If you want to be successful, look to successful people. Um, but you have to be willing to question the things that you think you know. And you have to be willing to be wrong. You have to be willing to fail in order to be able to be better than you are. I mean, I know in music, how many times do I play something wrong when I play something difficult before I play it right? Like there are good practice habits and there are good, good life habits you can develop, but you have to be willing to do it. And it is, there, there, there are some things where there is, there's no shortcut to it. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the time. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it smartly. Like I said, there is a difference. Like I always use music as the analogy. There's a difference between an hour of noodling and an hour of dedicated practice. And there's a difference between developing good habits in your life and just kind of 
puttering through. Yeah, it's it's not practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice make, makes perfect. So um, you have to have good practice habits and you have to have good life habits. And you know what? Most people aren't just going like this. It's like this along the way. You have, you know, there are ebbs and flows to this, but you can develop good habits and you can surround yourself with the kind of people and the kind of knowledge and the kind of and the kind of life that you want. If you're if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. You know that means that means you're not stepping out of your comfort zone, and uh, your comfort zone is actually the the death zone. Uh, everything you've ever wanted is outside of your comfort zone, but it's a it's a you know sometimes it's a scary place to step outside of there. I remember the first couple of courses that I took um, in in the personal development range of things. I was terrified. <laughs> I was terrified. Um, but it was one of those things that the more you get comfortable with being uncomfortable, the more normal it becomes. And when you see the results of what you can get from that, it's a good thing. It's one of the most important things of, to try to be better, to try to be the best version of yourself. And I guess that's what you're getting here with the, with the, with the concept of mastery is you want to be the best you that you can be. And that requires a lot of discomfort. Anything you're good at now that comes naturally that you don't even think about when you're driving or playing guitar, uh, you failed at when you started, you sucked at when you started, but it's through that personal growth and developing that mastery that it, it becomes your new normal. And so you mentioned reaching out to successful people and learning from them. So how important is, is uh, mentorship? And did you have any mentors that helped you when you, when you got started or maybe even now? It was one of those things that I think what I had at first was more idols than I did mentors. It was people I kind of looked to, um, but having an idol doesn't really give you the nitty gritty. Um, there are people out there that know what you want to know and everybody needs a mentor or a teacher. I think it's a very valuable thing and it's something that I, I, I honestly need to do more of. I need to, I need to take a little bit more time to make sure that I'm doing that because um, like anyone else, we get into some habits in our life where we will, um, you know, we'll get to a point and then we just kind of do it on our own. But like I said, there are always people that we can look to um, and collaborate. And sometimes a mentor can be a colleague as well. It's just somebody who either is good at something that you want to learn. And you'd be surprised. A lot of people like that are willing to share. They're willing to pay that forward um, in, a, in a good way. Um, I think mentorship is an important thing because if you want to master somebody, speak to somebody and learn from somebody who already has. Mm, absolutely. Now, um, after all these years as a musician, with the daily grind and the late nights and out in the cold and the disappointments, how do you, how do you keep this fun after all this time? How are you not burnt out on music and wanting to do something different? How do you keep it fun? Um, there have been a few points in my life, not in the last little while, because I'll be honest, the last, last 10 years or so of music for me have been a wonderful period of growth, but, uh, there have been points along the way where I said to myself, I'm done with this. And I'm glad that I didn't because, um, I have found in the adversity, it really taught me how much that I really care about this. I never asked to be a musician. It was one of those things that it was, I found something in myself that I could do with this. And um, I have, <laughs> it gave me thick skin because of the amount of failure that I've been through. Um, like now, like I, I, I remember I was doing a, a podcast with a friend of mine and we were talking about trying to get on festivals. 
and you know some I've been pretty I've been you know um, able to get on some decent some decent bills but somebody who only sees the ones that I've got and didn't see the other 95 that I applied to that I didn't I guess um, I care about it enough and I believe in what I'm doing enough to try to be better at it and to see to have a vision to see what somebody else may not um, it, it I I know that it's doable because I've done it I know that I can do it better than I'm doing right now because we can all grow I don't think there's anything anybody could tell me right now to tell me that I couldn't do it I have like I said I've got I, like I said I have a vision of what I want and I have um, grit is probably the best way to put it I've got grit because I've, I've failed enough to understand and I've had enough no's to understand that I don't need everybody to say yes. So if I were to say, hey, Matt Zaddy, what is your favorite memory as a musician? Is there anything that just jumps to mind? Yeah, I don't know if I would say it was a single thing, but I think I, I could describe it as an experience. Um, there was a song I had on my first record as a singer, as a solo singer songwriter. And I called that song perfect moments. And what I was talking about were those moments when there's a connection between audience and performer between the band members where it almost seems that time stands still. And I would describe that as a perfect moment. It's this moment where there is a connection. I mean, I, I hesitate to use the word synergy, but why not? Let's use that here. Um, where it seems that everything is in that exact moment is exactly where it should be. And it's like a, it's like a moment of joy. And it feels a lot longer than it actually is. Like I, I remember in the, 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 the first CD release show that I played, I had a moment where I thought I was sitting there in that moment for like 20 seconds. And it was obviously just a split second. I was like, that's why I do this. And I've been really fortunate to have that in a number of different situations. I've had that in the studio where the, a producer and I connected. I've had that where... I've been playing with the guys and I look over and it's just musically we're connecting and there's this communication that's just, that's just, you have to experience to understand. And I've had that with an audience where there's just, we, we're all on the same page and we're just locked into that, into that experience. And it is, it is, it's a wonderful thing. They call that the flow state where you have purpose, mastery, autonomy, and time stands still. And <laughs> they say that, you want to think back over your life, all the times where time really stood still, where you went 18 hours, you know, in the studio and, and then you realize that you haven't eaten all day when you right when you're, you're playing a video game and eight hours later, you realize, oh my God, where did the day go? So those are all your flow states. And they're saying, if you're having trouble finding your purpose, try to think back to all those different moments where, where you lost track of time. And that's probably where your passion is, where your purpose is. And if you can find a way to monetize that, then you can, you can have a career doing what you love. Um, when you look back over your illustrious career, can you pinpoint any mistakes, like a big mistake that you've made that you might have learned from? And maybe that'll help the musicians listening on, maybe they can just avoid that mistake and learn from yours. And then on the other end of it, is there, is there kind of the, something that's the smartest thing you've done in your music career uh, that maybe we can duplicate as musicians? I would say um, 
the big from a playing perspective having good practice habits I've had pra ha practice habits that were good and I've had practice habits that were terrible over the years and there were times where my playing definitely plateaued um, where it didn't need to because I wasn't pushing myself I wasn't trying to I, I, I was just at a level and I stayed there and it was because I was comfortable um, as, as a player and getting uncomfortable with your playing doesn't necessarily mean that you're pushing yourself technically uh, getting gaining uh, gaining a broader perspective of music understanding different aspects of it that you otherwise wouldn't have considered I would say develop strong practice habits and I would be more than happy to go into that in depth with anybody that has any more questions about that um, uh, the other thing that I would say is um, if you want to do music as a career you need to understand more than just your instrument the people I know that are the most successful at this are not the best players quite honestly I know people who are wonderful players but that was not necessarily um, some people are, are more persistent than others you have to be able to be smart about how you do it as well um, and could you refresh my memory on the last end of that question? I just missed. So, so there was, yeah, no worries. There was the, the biggest mistake and what you learned from it. And then there's the smartest thing that you've done that we can maybe duplicate as well. So within your answer, there was kind of yeah. both a little bit. Okay. For, for the smartest thing that I, I think I could did was I was open to change. Um, I was open to the idea of, of going where, um, uh, of being open to the idea of trying something different because I mean I could have just put out another metal record but I, I decided when I what that what I was feeling was like well maybe I can try this a different way and me trying it a different way made the difference between this becoming a full-time career for me or not and me being willing to try different things in there like there's a difference between being sidetracked and there's a difference between shifting your perspective um, and in my case I was able to shift my perspective and it made a big difference in terms of me becoming a full-time career musician um, and you have to be open to that. Like I said, don't lose. You don't want to lose sight of your vision, but you also don't want to um, just, you know, push things away, which could be to your benefit. You have to be open to the idea that you could be wrong, and you have to be open to the idea of shifting. A lot of times, we we don't give ourselves credit. We're hard on ourselves. Uh, so I'm going to give you a minute here to actually give yourself credit. Uh, what what are the top traits that you think? you have in yourself that have allowed you to find success so you you've mentioned a, a few along the way but maybe to put it in a in a bubble here in a nutshell um i'm good with people um i have i've developed i mean i've, I've i was a, reason, a reasonably social kid but somewhat shy I, I worked on being able to communicate better and that made a real difference for me because a lot of the events that I host have to do with me as a communicator as much as they do myself as a musician. Um, I am persistent. Um, I have developed a thick skin to where I'm okay with somebody saying no because in a lot of cases what I found that no is is just not right now. Um, and that's and that's a big difference that, that I've been able to overcome because um, I'm okay with failure. I'm actually fine with it because I'm learning from it. Um, and uh, being okay with failure and being okay with with hearing no means that you can like I said grit you just, you just it's true grit you know I've been able to to be okay with these things that don't go exactly as I plan all the time and learn from them and then refocus and learn from them and refocus and I've done the same thing with my playing there are times where my playing where I plateaued and then I said no I need to do this I need to be better than I am I'm better than what I'm doing I know what I'm capable of and I know what 
uh, the potential that I have. And I've been able to see potential in myself and then pursue that. That for me is a big thing. I had a, a marketing teacher once who's also the, he runs Canadian Musician Magazine and he would always say you have to be pleasantly persistent. So, you know, there, there's, there's uh, you know, the people that are persistent in the wrong ways and then there are people that are pleasantly persistent where you just have to take them seriously because they're, they're pleasant. You don't mind when they reach out to you and you can tell that, look, they're, they're driven and, and they're just going to keep reaching out to you until um, you, you provide them with what they want. And at the end of the day, you just respect that persistence and, uh, and you don't want them to keep calling you forever. So you're going <laughs> to eventually book them on the gig or get them in the, uh, get them in the magazine or whatever. So um, we're, you know, there, there's we're all in 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 self isolation right now. Things are getting a little better. Things are changing. We we have about you know eight months left. Uh, you know seven or eight months left in the year. Do you have a vision for 2020 for what the rest of the year might look like? And have you set any personal goals that you're looking to achieve? Yes, I have. Um, the rest of the year, it, this is somewhat of a fluid state that we're in right now. So it's there are there are a lot of unknowns, but just because there are unknowns doesn't mean you can't set goals. I've been uh, one of the things that I'm working on on my end is dedicated time to content creation because I've had a lot of things I've been meaning to do online that I haven't because I've been doing them live, and now I have the time. So I'm teaching myself a handful of skills and taking some courses to develop those skills to be able to do more of the content creation uh, on my own. Um, also, um, I have reading goals in this time because I do have a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm blocking out more time to just specifically read some of it educational, uh, some of it artistic. Um, I've dedicated a lot of, I've set some pretty high goals for myself in terms of my playing during this time. And uh, also in terms of uh, recreating some of the income that I have as a performer uh, in a digital landscape. So I have like a, I have this like master list of things, and then it's just like okay, well now now that I've got this cool list, I'm like, how can I set realistic goals and timelines to be able to accomplish these things? So I'm in the process of it, and I do very much like the process. I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. I read usually fifty to sixty plus books a year, very and cool. uh, I'm always looking for recommendations. Do you do you have any books that come to mind? Uh, great books that you've read in in the last while. Anything come to mind that you could share with our listeners that are? It doesn't have to be personal growth. Just any any books. You know, I'm gonna have to think about that right now. I have. Um... A bunch of classic literature that I have on my shelf that I've been meaning to read for a long time, and it's everything from like Ralph Waldo, like you know, from Homer to Ralph Waldo Emerson to Shakespeare. Um, I um, I've made it a goal of my. I mean, I'm sure you've you've seen the list out there of the hundred books that everybody must read, yeah. and um, there are a handful of books. Like I would say, rec if you're look, I would say take a look at a list like that. Uh, to give you a comprehensive uh, list of things, I'm I'm a big science fiction nut. <laughs> nice. Um, so I tend to lead uh, to lean in that direction. Anyone who's seen my feed has seen the the amount of Star Wars and Star Trek that tend to make their way onto it. Um, the last few science fiction books I read were Dune and uh, American Gods, and they were both very good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that. I know that. Um, I've, I've I'm a big fan of Dune. I have been since I was a kid. My dad had a copy of Dune kicking around the house, and and I was always fascinated by it. And I remember as a kid too that I watched. I watched the movie and I loved it. Plus Patrick Stewart's in it and I'm a sci-fi nut. <laughs> That's funny. Did you hear that they're, they're about to release a new Dune that it's like a major 
blockbuster, all the money, best actors, all that stuff. Oh yeah, I'm 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 really curious because when I watch Dune now, as opposed to as a child, it's 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 different. You know, I mean, I don't think it was. I don't think that the, the original movie production was as good as I thought it was when I was a kid. But <laughs> it's nostalgic, so I still love it. Um, that being said, um, I'm excited for the new Dune. I really, I really hope that they've done it because you know how good the story is. I really hope that they've done it, done it justice. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm trying to come into this with an open mind. Maybe we'll go see Dune together if movie theaters open back up and that's the thing that humans still do. But, uh, I have one more question and then would you be able to play an original song for us here? A special treat for our listeners? Exactly. Amazing. So my final question is, let's say you woke up tomorrow and your music career has vanished. It never existed. You are a brand new musician that has decided to pursue a full-time career in music. But here's the good news. You still have all your years of, of knowledge and training and experience. How do you get back to your current level of success quickly? using everything that you have that's up here i would say you need to like i said good practice habits you need to learn from people that have already done it um you have to be willing to accept failure along the way um and uh you need to care about it it needs to matter and you need to and it has to matter more than just about you because it's not just about you it's about what you can use that as a conduit or as a vehicle to do that's amazing. So what, uh, what, what song are you going to play for us? I, I figured I'd play Brighter Days. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that too. So that's the newest single, right? It's the newest single. Yeah, I'm just going to grab my guitar. Give me one sec. Go ahead. This is Brighter Days. Wherever you are, I know the light is always shining in every heart. And there's more to this than we've been finding I guess it goes to show No matter what we're hiding From out in the dark We know that something good stirs inside you When you feel there's nothing you can do To live and lead you to display And you're tempted to believe in all that you better Way. Nothing could be further from the truth Believe me when I say
Amazing. That was awesome. Now, as, as we wrap up the call, so everyone was listening. I'm sure everyone loved that song. Uh, how do people connect with you on social media, whether they want to listen to your music, whether they want to reach out to you to, to build a, a relationship, whether they want information about how to be a vegan? Uh, what are, what are the, the music sites, uh, website, social media? Sure. Uh, the easiest way to find me, honestly, is to Google Matt Zaddy. So Matt, M-A-T-T, -T, Zaddy, like daddy, but with a Z. <laughs> um, you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on all the streaming sites. Uh, I find that I'm the most active um, probably on Facebook. So if you go to facebook.com slash Matt Zaddy, um, um, whatever your favorite streaming site is, whether it's Spotify or Apple or anything like that, I'm on there. I'm also on Bandcamp for those of you that want to, um, you know, I like I know a lot of people that are like audio files and want to purchase the FLAC file. So they'll go on to, to Bandcamp to get that. Um, my website is mattzaddy.com and, and right in the in the first part of the site you can sign up for my mailing list. Um, I get the most personal and the most informative definitely through my mailing list so that is the best way uh, to get to know me. I also do um, sneak previews and special features through there that don't make it to social as quickly. Um, so anyone who's on my mailing list definitely finds out about things the, the fastest. Uh, and I do my best as often as I can to make sure that I'm on the regular with that. That's another one of my goals while I'm home is to, to stay nice and regular with my with my newsletters. Amazing. Well, that's Matt Zaddy. So thank you so much for for uh, sharing your time with us, for, for giving such authentic answers that are going to help a, a lot of musicians out that are on their career path right now. And, and thank you for playing that song. So uh, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. And I, I really like what you're doing with this podcast. I remember I saw the first one come up and I listened to it uh, the, the day that I found out about it. And I, I think you're doing good work with this. This is great. So keep you keep up the good work as well, man. Onward and upward. All right. Thank you, brother. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I'd love to hear from you guys. My goal is to grow this podcast organically where you're giving me feedback on topics you'd like me to cover and guests you'd like me to interview. You can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Joelle Martin Mastery. Joelle is J-O-E-L. And on Twitter at Joelle Mastery. So I am done. I am complete. I approve this message. And I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>